Robert McNeil said in reference to the Brave New World that television was the equivalent of Soma. I would say that in our Brave New World, social media would be the equivalent to Soma. This is Talk Junkie, and welcome to the Wastelands. Well, that may be a little bit dramatic, I don't know. We're in a very particularly weird and and, uh, new situation uh, in comparison to the world we used to live in, and the world we will live in after this coronavirus. In the midst of something like this and, and the ensuing shutdown and, and um, the quarantine and, and businesses closing down, what, what will change? What will be different after the quarantine's lifted? After this, after this period, what, what comes next? <clears throat> you know, I've heard futurists theorize that there will come a day when when we, for all intents and purposes, live life almost totally electronically, that that we will be engulfed in uh, an electronic dreamland, uh, basically a matrix, basically a simulation of some sort um, to where interaction is done digitally, to where human contact is never really personal. It's, it's always virtual. We learned a couple things, even though we're not completely out of this. We, we a lot, a lot of things have become more apparent once we've had time to reflect and look back. Hindsight is always the best. But even to this point, I think a lot of companies have realized <clears throat> maybe I don't need such big offices. Maybe I don't need to pay for all of the <clears throat> the the facility that I'm providing, the parking. Um, the, the cubicles, uh, the hardline phones, all these things are expenditures that maybe I don't need to create because it's becoming apparent that a lot of jobs can be done remotely. I don't think that's a bad thing, actually. I think that's a good thing. I think that <clears throat> when it comes to, to work and, and certain types of jobs, that virtual access to that job is better than a physical access to that job because it allows people to have more of an opportunity to unplug. If you're working a nine to five, but you're spending an hour commute in the morning, an hour commute in the evening, then you're coming home and you didn't get done what you needed to get done at work because you had to focus on 15 other things that were not related to work. And plus you were there, you were tired, all these different variables, your day ends up being much longer than it needs to be. It's possible that by allowing that job to be done from home and you cut out the commute, you cut out all these things, you have more times, time for family. You have more time for personal things, and 
it also may just allow you to focus on yourself more. And that's not focusing on yourself in the means of it being selfish, but in it being responsible because self-care is very, very important in regards to how you're able to treat other people and help other people in life. And I think that we will we'll see that coming forward. I think that's one of the things that when we get out of this quarantine will be obvious that <clears throat> some jobs are better suited and are better financially for the company if done remotely. And I think that that's a plus. I think we also will see that some jobs were just unnecessary. Some jobs were uh, antiquated and outdated and, and really didn't didn't need to exist and and those jobs will be uh, will be gone and that's not necessarily a good thing anytime you lose jobs but I think it's a natural progression it's something that would have happened that has just been speeded up by this situation and in the situation that we're in um, I think that it'll change people in regards to how a certain segment of people, will be prepared. Um, will they have a little bit of money put aside? Will they Will they do something uh, extra to get that money to put aside, even if it's just a little bit? But will they Will they keep supplies? Will people stock up? Will people be preppers to some degree? I've mentioned two or three times about doing a, an episode on, on how I used to be a prepper and what I used to do, and, and that is coming soon. Uh, just other things get in the way. It's, <clears throat> you'll notice I'm not putting these out as often as I did before because the, the quarantine has changed my schedule. I like to do these when I'm alone, when I'm able to focus, and I'm not doing that right now. Spending time with my family, and that, frankly, is more important than trying to cut out some time alone to do a podcast. But I'm also writing. My, my book is, <clears throat> I would say, 99% complete. I just have to get the files. Well, I wouldn't say this. Let's, let's say 90. Let's not go crazy. Um... Uh, I'm playing a lot more music. I'm enjoying a lot more things. I'm reading more. I'm enjoying more more music in general. Um, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I've been quarantined with my wife and my son. Unfortunately, my daughter has not been with us. But for the most part, like, I've had people to interact with. Um, and and that's that's good. That's, that's a positive part of... Uh, of the quarantine for me, and it's something that that um, I've enjoyed. Um, now, coming out of this quarantine, there's going to be a lot of people that have, will come to a realization that I came to years back is they're going to have to return to jobs they hate. And it's not that I work for bad people or that my job, it's not what I want to do. And that sounds childish, and it is to a certain degree. Of course, I could have done what I wanted to do if only I'd pursued things differently and done things differently. And and sometimes you get yourself into a point to where you can no longer go back and do that, not and be fair to your family or be responsible with your family. And some people's families don't support them in a manner in which that they, they could do that. But a lot of people are going to realize that i got to go back to an existence that I, that I didn't want. <clears throat> and I think... That may wake some people up and some people will go, okay, I definitely need to uh, re reevaluate life and what I'm doing with it and, and my choices. But I think some other people may, during this time, find some more satisfaction in 
the unreal, in in the artificial, in uh, social media and things of that nature, so that when they go back, they feel like, okay, I wasn't having to work and I was happy during this time, and during this time, uh, I was engulfed with, with social media, to where that, that part of their life becomes real to them, and, and the physical part of their life becomes dreaded, and, and you know, that's, that's an unfortunate mix-up, but I think it, it happens to a lot of people. Again, not something that's caused by something like a quarantine, but something that um, is definitely uh, amplified by something like a quarantine. Now, we look at, there's an obvious push to be digital. There's an obvious push uh, for change in a lot of segments of society, um, especially entertainment, and especially in regards to to movies, you know, Netflix is making movies on their own, movies that getting limited theatrical release or no theatrical release. A lot of companies are looking at doing that. Amazon's making movies. All these companies are making movies, and they're doing it in a model that does not include the movie theater. Now, I'm a little torn on this. I'm not a big movie goer because I'm not big on most newer movies. If you just put retro movies into a movie theater and started playing them nonstop. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. You know, I would go see all the movies I love from the 80s and 90s, 70s, uh, even the early 2000s, even newer movies, as long as it movies I was interested in, in the theaters. But I'm not a, a big uh, financial supporter of movie theaters, not for any agenda or anything. It's just things don't pop up often that I, I enjoy and want to see. Uh, my son much prefers his entertainment at home. I would prefer to take him to a movie theater because it allows him to get out, which is something that he needs. But I think once we come out of this, you know, AMC has said that they're basically probably not going to open back up. And I think if my research is right, they were, I forget what number, <clears throat> they're one or two maybe in the top um, movie theaters. Uh, they're up there in the top. I can't remember what it was. It was a long article and I got confused a couple times. But um, they... Uh, they're probably not going to open back up. And and this was the nail in the coffin. Now, in fairness, I think if we were being honest, and if we really looked at the data, that we would see that movie theaters were dying before this. <clears throat> and that's due to streaming and digital, and people want that access. So I believe, because in the area I'm in, you know, we went from two... Uh, movie theaters, you know, and them being fairly full down down to really one, and I don't see how it's going to hold on. I don't see it making it through this. Maybe it could, but uh, it was in pretty bad shape physically before this. I don't know about economically, but I would assume that it was in bad shape physically because it was in bad shape economically, and, and I just, you know, it, it I can't see them making it through, but maybe they will. I hope that they do. I really do hope that they do. What I could see happening is down the road, movie theater experience becoming a more retro experience, like I had mentioned, that uh, you'll have these older movie theaters open back up uh, completely under the kind of the, the business model of being a retro theater. You know, showing E.T., 
showing Back to the Future, showing Ghostbusters, showing um, maybe Titanic, you know, things that were huge box office draws at different points in time, or things that become cult classics like They Live, things of that nature. <clears throat> I could see a formula down the road of that working because nostalgia has never been stronger. And, you know, to people who grew up in the 80s and 90s and, and things of that nature, um, a couple places have had, you know, some internet outages and things like that. It, it's become, on those times when social media is down and gone, it becomes real nostalgic for those people. Because they're taken back to a point in time where that wasn't an option. There was a different requirement. So I, I believe that, that nostalgia being the way it is, that coming out of this, that that could be something we could look forward to seeing. Now, I heard on another podcast that there's a lot of talk about uh, driving theaters coming back. Driving theaters are personally my favorite. I love driving theaters. Um, I've not really got to experience them much as an adult because every time we find one and go a couple times, it usually closes down or it's so far away we can only go. Uh, now I don't know of any locally open close to us. Um, but that's that's something that, you know, it's it allows for separation of people and that may be something that sticks with us after this is over. You know, and that may be why there's this talk of something like a driving theater coming back. Because... I believe the push for things to be digital for in-home movie viewing and all that, that was already well upon, on its way. This will be the catalyst for that. Now, coming out of this, will we still want a social distance? I think to a certain degree, definitely, you know, I think we look at a place like China and we see the people with the mask and stuff all the time and we think of that as paranoia and this, but they're they're doing that against a very real thing, and that's their pollution level. It had nothing to do with infections or anything like that initially. You know, before all this happened, that was that was due to their their uh, pollution levels. So, you know, we may switch to that nation of people wearing masks and, and things of that nature. I don't think the majority of Americans and a certain demographic of Americans can be seen to go that way, but I can see much older Americans going that way just for personal protection, and I can see much younger Americans going that way because it would kind of be in vogue and, and be chic maybe for the time, so it's, it's possible that we see that coming out of this, but I do believe, despite the, the facial wear or the health precautions, that coming out of this we do see some level of social distancing um, being Kept. Now, I don't know that we'll see that in a city like New York. Uh, to me, I, uh, my time there, I can't see how New York could social distance. Um, and without the threat of something like this, I don't know why they would want to. Um, it is possible, though, that in more rural areas uh, and, and that you, you see that, or smaller cities that you see that. And, and it, it's going to be that there will be a few um, counties or or cities or states on smaller levels that try to enact certain types of, uh, of distance. So that, that's kind of one of the fears. People, people talk about all these paranoid um, conspiracy theorists that are worried about everything through this time. Some of that's true, but some of that is logic and common sense and what we've seen in the past. Um, 
when people are allowed to overreach, they habitually overreach from then on out. Uh, very, very, very few times in history has has an overreaching government ever pulled back, or an overreaching city council, or an over. It, it's it's just not generally the case. Um, with with things involving control based stuff. Now that that's not to say that it's always bad or that it it's always effective. A lot of times it's not effective at all and it's initially phased out by people coming later. But as far as government action itself in that time, it's never just taken back. And and you set precedents and, and when you do those precedents, you know, allow for people to look back and go, ah, but we did this for your best interest. And, and I think people worry about that. But I think we have proven, unless we change in, in the United States, to be pretty good at at, um, at kind of stopping things like that in their tracks. Uh, a lot of times people don't appreciate the people who are doing that at the time. But in the long run, we, we're generally pretty good with that. Um, when, when we look at, when I look at this situation... And I look at it, and I, I think, you know, what's the largest impact coming out of this going to be? That's really dependent on when we come out of this. If we came out of this today, there, there's three major things. One, our unpreparedness as a, a country for something like this. I believe that for the most part... I think we've done really good. People want to talk about um, our rates compared to other countries. Well, that's apples and oranges. Look at our size and our population compared to other countries. We're doing a phenomenal job. I think it's that that we just have an innate ability, and possibly it is luck to some degree, that we react very well, and we have great instincts as a country, even when our leadership's not the best. Same way with states. Even when our leadership's not the best, we have great responses. I mean, um, but... You know, I think the government's at a loss because they did not expect this and they were definitely not ready. So I think that's going to be a lasting impact. I think, in all honesty, that um, from the smallest local governments and organizations up that hopefully, and I really believe that this will in some way spark a, a desire to be more prepared if this thing reaches the levels they're talking about. And, and I say that because the government and, and, and a lot of these organizations are going to look at one thing, and that's numbers and statistics. And at this point, this thing is not, um, not what it was painted to be. If, if we had a real number on infected cases. It's likely that this the infection rate of this is very, very high. It's highly contagious. But it's also likely that the death rate is extremely, extremely, extremely low. Um, and it, it, at one point, and I don't know if this it was like 30-something maybe worldwide in deaths for the year... And, and I know that sounds morbid, but number-wise, I think in order for it to get the kind of attention I'd like to see it get, those numbers would have to be higher. I don't believe that this is the great epidemic of our, of our lifetime. 
it's, it's definitely not the, the great epidemic of the last 200 years. Uh, it, it's probably not going to be the epidemic of our lifetime. Though. That's that's the sad thing. At this point, unless the numbers have changed, I haven't looked back. We've had, I think H1N1 may have been more deadly to date than this one. But my concern is what comes after this. You know, it, it's this is proof things will jump. If you listen to the fear-mongering, um, uh, fear and mongering in, in Eastern Kentucky, I think it was, or UK, well, I can't remember what I named the episode, but I talk about a, a, a disease that would be petrifying if it got, and, and, you know, it's an animal-based disease, but so was this. So I hope that this does have an impact on how we, we get prepared um, from the ground up, from from county, state, and federal, how we prepared for something like this. Another large impact of this thing um, that, that I hope is, is felt. And, and there's two of these, and one could counter the other. The first thing is, economically, this thing will be devastating. Um, I don't think people are really looking at that. When you look at small businesses and, and things of that nature, I mean, Walmart's going to, to, to be fine, you know. Uh, some of the fast food restaurants are going to be fine. Local establishments are really going to struggle, and that's sad. But it's it's due to the policies in place to to, to protect us, uh, which I don't understand how Walmart is up. I understand we have to be able to get things, um, but if you go into a Walmart, it is a direct spit in the face of the policies that are are shutting down privately owned businesses and, and bankrupting, bankrupting them. Now, I know people are talking about, well, it's unemployment for everybody. No, that's not real. It's not unemployment for small business owners. I know numerous small business owners that it's not possible. They don't they don't get it. They can't apply for it. You know, they've even made it applicable for substitute teachers. My wife was a substitute teacher. She, of course, has not been able to access the unemployment. And that's another thing. Even if it was available, would they be able to sign up for it and get it? Uh, where I'm at, that's becoming very hard to do. So, uh, you know, yeah, they're giving an extra $600 a month, this, this, this. But if you can't physically get your hands on it, it really makes no impact. It doesn't matter. And if you get it six months from now, and they go, ah, oh, but you'll get your back pay. But what does that do for what you've lost in that time or what you've got behind in that time? Penalties and, and fines and things of that nature um, really magnify that situation and make it worse than it than it would have been. So, uh you know, some people say better late than never. Some people say too little, too late. So, but but these local businesses, are, some of these business owners, you know, a good majority of them, they're not getting unemployment. Um, they're out of money on the small business loans. That probably went mostly to friends and and a couple of legitimate places, and that's it. Uh, because we're still realize we're trusting a corrupt government to to manage this money. You know, um, and, and also allowing that group to pick and choose who closes and who opens. So economically coming out of this situation is going to be devastating, uh, really devastating. And, you know, we're looking at extremely high unemployment rates right now, and people are saying, yes, but that's because people are off to the quarantine. When everybody goes back, those numbers will go down. They will go down, but they won't go back down to the rate, the extremely low unemployment rate we had before this because a lot of these businesses are going to be out of out of work and I mean Walmart will probably hire you know I read a a report once and I don't know if this still holds true that Walmart was the largest employer uh, in in Kentucky Uh, and it was that way in many states and and that 
you know, that's probably not going to change anytime soon. Actually, if anything, that's probably going to amplify and, and they're going to become much larger employees. So <clears throat> some parts of the private sector are going to definitely, definitely benefit. Um, unfortunately, I don't feel that it's uh, always the parts that help us. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that Walmart being a, a large employer and stuff is, is a good thing. And, and I want to see Walmart come out of this. For Walmart to go under would be devastating for the United States of America. Devastating. Because it's so many jobs, so much, you know, on paper, it really is kind of a Chinese-owned company, has been my understanding since it was sold uh, by the, the original family. But still, its impact uh, in America is, is, is huge, and, and it is a vital part of, of our economy. But it's not the only part of our economy, and, and the other parts of our economy are going to be hurting really bad once once we come out of this. Uh, and, and that concerns me. Now, what could be a uh, kind of a, a, a bright spot in all that darkness is um, hopefully common sense has prevailed and uh, voters and, and uh, government officials and just people in general have realized um, we are depending greatly on imports for very vital things like medicine and, and masks and respirators and things of that nature from overseas, uh, mainly from China, a, a country that um, we, we've we've been shown that we, we can't trust their, their data, their, their intel, and that they are willing to entertain the threat and thought of keeping things from us that we need. And we, who have... Uh, uh, put put sanctions and embargoes and taxes against them to try to help them pay for our economy um, are so reliant on them that we don't know that that's going to be possible to do. And I feel that that's a good thing to, to, to put those restrictions on a company that's kind of raping your economy and, and your people, but you also have to hold your people responsible. Now, that that may allow for us to bring some of that production back. But a couple things would have to be accepted in order to do that. That producing those things is probably, at this current time, a 15 to 20 hour, dollar an hour job, not a $45 an hour job. Um, and that getting in there and getting contracts and trying to constantly get that up. to Because see, to me, $45 an hour is a trade uh, pay schedule. That is to say, if, if you wanted to go learn how to weld, which um, would pay you anywhere from 45 to $105 an hour, depending on where you go, and there's a large lack of trade work, then, then that's, that's a skill you've learned and a value. But, but this is an agreed-upon thing. Like This is a, a, a production thing. There, there may end up being trade jobs in that. But if we can accept that it's, it's a job that's at least double minimum wage but less than... Uh, an extravagant amount, like $40, $45 an hour. And if we can understand that those products will cost a little more because they're American-made, then we understand that those prices are offset by the jobs that are brought in and by the stability that it gives to the country, then there's a possibility that that could have a, a good reaction in regards to those jobs coming back and it... <clears throat> kind of 
offsetting the job loss, but it, it won't be immediate. I, I feel like coming out of this, there's the high probability for recession if, at, at the least. If we look at different time periods in the past in which we have experienced recessions and we look at uh, the markers for those things, we're in a, a situation that, that will have some of those markers. It will have job loss. It, it will have, uh, we've had a large run of inflation. We'll have all these uh, precursors. Then we'll, we'll offset that with a, a, a going from an extremely low unemployment to a high unemployment. We'll have all these things that, that will probably trigger this, this recession. I don't feel that it'll trigger a depression. Because I don't, when when looking at the Great Depression and looking at uh, government markers and, and looking at these things, um, the government has the ability to step in and stop something like that now, unlike they did in the past. Um, in the past, they, they really didn't have the potential uh, for job creation and, and things of that. And and there, there's the opportunity there to, to, to prevent something like a, a, another Great Depression. But I do feel it coming out of this, just looking at financial uh, markers from, from past things and some papers I've read that it's likely will come into a recession coming out of this. Uh, the thing about um, this, this new recession that some of these guys are predicting is they're predicting a, a, a digital boom after. This could result in a very large growth in, um, <clears throat> in the tech world. Um, you know, you're always looking for positives, and, and a lot of these experts are, are looking at a growth in the tech world. And me looking at it as an uneducated outsider, if I look at this and I say, okay, well, all these companies are recognizing that um, virtual meetings and, and, and work at home and all these things are, are beneficial, but there, there needs to be a groundwork laid there. There needs to be systems put in place. There needs to be companies to monitor these. And so if you look at it on a large scale, obviously you're, you're going to have uh, large-scale companies that are already in place, companies like Cisco or, or, or Google or companies that are able to step into these, these Fortune 500 companies and equip them with the ability to interact and work from home and, and teleconference and stuff. And, and the states are also going to be able to access these same types of companies. And those companies will have to hire more. They're going to need technicians. They're going to need people. So you could have a rise in that job market. But on the same sense, small local companies may make that decision. Small local government may make that decision. It may become an easier way uh, to prevent for, for commutes and things of that nature and things on a smaller scale. Uh, say, you know, the difference in, in these large companies in, in New York City using companies such as uh, Google or someone to do it or, or even Apple, uh, you know, because I think that um, companies like Apple will see a great boost out of this. But on the other hand, you know, a smaller company in Lexington that may feel like, okay, we've got people in Lexington, Kentucky, but we've got people in Winchester, we've got people in Richmond, Berea, we need a virtual link for this. Then they go to a little bit smaller contractor, or quite a bit smaller contractor, actually, almost a microscopic contractor when you're speaking on the level of someone like Google. And that affords companies like that to open. And, you know, I, I think that the, the techno technological sector that is always growing anyway, especially in the world that we live in today, will 
see a growth if that becomes and, and so that's a, that's a positive to look at I try to look for the positives in this I do feel like our economy will hurt after this but I think that's the potential for for a positive you, you, <clears throat> now something that um, I can't remember this is this has been 10 or 15 years ago I was sitting and talking to someone and I forget what we were talking about a movie or something we had seen and I said so then we get talking about the future and how things will change and I said you know one day I wonder if it will be possible to the point to where sports lesson in America and since that time since I had that conversation sports if anything have amplified they've they've gotten bigger more important uh, grander and looking back on that conversation I never foreseen something like this now I don't believe that this will kill sports I believe this will affect sports economically I believe that some people will go, wow, you know, I've wasted every Sunday or every whatever day uh, watching a sport when I could have done something um, else, something more um, worthwhile with my time to where um, sports will become more about just um, entertainment on an occasional basis than a ritual. Um, but some people will keep that ritual. They definitely will. Sports have a very important role in their life. I can tell you that my wife and daughter, that it will not affect uh, their love or really obsession with University of Kentucky athletics in any way. Uh, they're still going to be just as overwhelmingly excited about it as they ever were. Maybe more so. And people like myself who don't really get anything out of sports anymore, they're not going to turn to sports, I don't believe. I believe less people will go back to sports initially. I believe that um, that, that teams and companies and arenas, uh, they obviously did take a loss during this time, and they will want that to reflect in pay, and they will want that to reflect in ticket prices. And so events will... Either there's two ways they could go with that. Events can either start start out dirt cheap to kind of get a feel for if people are interested, or to get people back into the groove. But then I look for prices to to go up substantially. I look for prices to go up substantially across the board on most items and most things. Uh, we can already see that during this time. There's price uh, prices increasing at this time, not on gas, obviously, but that that really has nothing to do with the coronavirus. That has more to do with what's going on in the Middle East with OPEC and. And, and these other countries uh, wanting to control production and things of that nature. But uh, with, with sports, I, I look at it as they're, they're going to try to pay less and take in more to, to compensate for this. Uh, and, and I think they feel invincible. I think they feel like the day this is released, they go back to being the most valuable entity in the United States. And I'm curious if, as if, is that what will really happen? Will they really go back to that? I I can imagine a point in time in human history without sporting events, uh, to a certain degree. With I won't say without any sporting events, 
but I can see it losing its 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 appeal and and its profitability. Um, I think it's a good thing. Physical competition and activity is a very good thing. Um, I think it eventually will go back to being a more personal thing, which I think is is much better. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I don't think that this is the point in time. I think that they will come back fairly strong uh, through this. I, I really do. Um, maybe not that particular leagues may not come back and, and do extremely well. I don't know. Maybe this breaks the NHL. Uh, maybe this uh, changes Major League Baseball to where it has to be uh, two completely separate leagues. Maybe it does the same for basketball. Uh, maybe football has to cut games. I, I don't. I don't know. But I, I do feel like they will come back and, and definitely be prosperous at some point after this. Um, so to whoever that was, when we had that great conversation, um, I still feel that there'll be a time where sports are less prioritized. I just don't believe that this is it. And I, I, I made a remark on, on Facebook, and, and somebody that, you know, I fairly well respect his opinion thought that I was wrong for making that um, I didn't understand how athletes make what they make and I understand why they make it and I don't understand why we put the value that we put on it and and his remark was that I should you know just be happy in, in some respect his remark basically was I'm probably butchered that it anytime that Poor people make money; it's good. Um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But that same athlete making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year instead of eighty million for a contract, he's still bettering himself. He's still doing better. I don't think the player, the company, anybody's really doing anything wrong. I mean, that's free market. I, I don't think that. It's more, to me, of a reflection on how I feel about society and, and how I, I, like, what if what if we spent some way, we had a way to monetize other things in life? But see, then, then they, they become victim to the same thing. They become victim to, okay, what if we monetize teaching to that degree because teachers are extremely important? Well, we can't monetize it privately like sports have been monetized because if we did, then you'd have amazing schools with amazing teachers and you'd have other schools with less than it. You know, that's called private schools. So, you know, I, I couldn't, I want to say, you know, and, and that was my belief is, you know, what if, what if doctors and, and or what? I'm sorry, not doctors. They make plenty of money uh, for limited uh, ability. What if, what if nurses and what if teachers and what if firemen and what if police officers and what if soldiers made that amount of money? Well, that would be awesome that they were rewarded for that. But in the sense of police officers making more. You know, I always say we want to keep politicians from being a profitable thing. If we made policing a profitable thing, then there would be more corruption in policing, uh, just like there's more corruption in, in, in politicians. And, you know, if if being a soldier was a profitable thing, then that would make war even more profitable than it is, and it's the most profitable thing in the world. So, you know, I don't know. That, that's That's an ideal I need to think about. It's something that 
I may feel a certain way about, but I'm obviously wrong about it somewhere. One, somebody that I think has a pretty level head uh, points out something. and that, That's the thing is, the overall thing is, uh, if we're going to end this with anything, uh, we, we've talked about all this stuff about the virus, and I'm almost done. But let, let's end it in this, and it will help with, with all things in life. If you think something, feel something, say something, believe something, make sure that you've taken the time to evaluate it from all sides. And that you feel confident that you've made an unbiased, accurate assumption or belief about that. Preferably an educated one with research and statistics. But no matter how much research, no matter how many statistics, no matter how deep the belief, that when it's questioned, you at least look at it and go, okay, do I still really feel that way? Is it correct? Am I right? If you won't question yourself, not not on the point to where you doubt everything you do, but question your beliefs. If you can't question your beliefs, truly question them. Truly just get in there and beat them up like your greatest critic would do and come out the other end still believing them, then maybe your belief wasn't that strong. Because their, their beliefs you will do that with that you'll hold and you'll realize, okay, at least for now I have full confidence in this belief. And there are beliefs like the one I just mentioned that you'll get to and go, well, you know what, maybe, maybe I was wrong. And that, that's relative to who you surround yourself with. I've got a lot of friends who I, I appreciate their opinion. And, and I've got a lot of friends who if they say something, I'll, I'll give it thought. I've got friends that are Look, they're puppets like anybody else, and I love them to death. I'd take a bullet for them, but look, they just believe what they're told, and, and it's infuriating to go on. But I have friends who who I truly believe put thought and and uh, compassion in, into their beliefs, and, and that means a lot. So be willing to question yourself. Be willing to, to uh, think... Um, the opposing thoughts and, and, and look at the opposing data and be willing more than anything to be wrong when you are because that makes it more valuable when you're right. Being right and being truly right it is a lot more reassuring to, to your future self than entertaining a false notion forever just because that notion felt good because a lot of times being wrong, being wrong is always uncomfortable for people, especially at first. Once you get used to it, that changes, but it's it's uncomfortable having to to adopt a, a new a new belief sometimes, but sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Uh, I guess we kind of started this with a quote um, by Robert McNeil, and, and then uh, I threw my little two cents in there, and I'll say it again. In regards to soma, as it's uh, referred to in a brave new world, in our modern world, I believe that our version of soma would be. Um, social media. Uh, don't suck. Don't be bad to people. Uh, like, comment, share. Uh, support your local businesses. Red Spotted Newt, Hazard, Kentucky. R-E-A-D, Red Spotted Newt, Hazard, Kentucky. Uh, Roundabout Music in Whitesburg. Uh, as soon as this opens back up and we can get back at Chain Reaction in BJJ in Hazard, Kentucky, the greatest group of people I've ever been around in my life, come learn Jiu-Jitsu. If you don't live here, if you live in Lexington, Kentucky, check out 
reaction MMA when all this opens back up. An unbelievable professor there, Rob Nickerson. Uh, some of the best people that, that have ever been around in my life. Um, author jperk at gmail.com. YouTube page is jperkins. The other stuff's the other stuff. Don't suck, don't die, and be good to each other. Thank you.